Uh, those of you who are regular at this church, our church, we're doing a series, and it's a series focusing around joy. Uh, our theme verse at the moment is Nehemiah uh, chapter 8 and verse 10. It's that verse that says, the joy of the Lord is my strength. And so what we're doing is just look into this whole aspect of joy with the principle that whatever you feed grows. Yeah, if you water your plant, it's going to grow. If you don't water your plant, it's going to die. So how about we focus on some great stuff in a world that tends to focus on the negative? On the whole, you look at the news, you listen to your friends talking, you listen to your workplace talking, whatever it might be. Generally, there's a negative vibe. But how about in church, we go counterculture? How about in church, we look at the concept of joy and say, that's just a good space to live in, so I want that to grow. So we're just creating a series, uh, buying into that principle and looking at joy. And without doubt, when you apply God's biblical principles to your life, it leads to a place of joy because God wants you to be happy. God wants you to do well in this life. He wants you to have hope for eternity. But if we're just trying to get through this life as quick as we can, as best as we can, just hoping we're going to get to heaven one day, that's not an attractive life. If you're a believer in Jesus Christ today and you've accepted him into your heart, you're going to heaven. That's a given. But how about we excel in this life as well? Because we're called not just to get through this life, but to bring heaven here now. So that someone looking at your life says, you are, you, what you do is attractive to me. What's going on there? And the response is, well, I've got a bit of Jesus in my life. Do you even know what his word says about you? And it sets you up to win. So how about we focus on some joy and let that grow in our life? We've done three messages so far, and I invite you just to hunt them down on the podcast and, and just get yourself up to speed. But in looking through this concept of joy, I've been trawling through the Bible looking at anything that says joy. And there is loads. But I came to this verse, 2 Corinthians 9, verses 7 and 8. Each of you should give what you have decided in your heart to give. Turn to the person next to you and say heart. Turn to the person on the other side of you and say it's about heart. Each of you should give what you have decided to give in your heart to give. Not reluctantly or under compulsion. For God loves a joyful giver. There's the link right there. And God is able to bless you abundantly so that in all things, at all times, having all you need, you will abound in every good work. And that is where I pray when we're going to do our offerings. Right there, biblical prayer. God will always give you more than enough so that you can abound in every good work. Well, one of the names for God is El Shaddai. You know, he's got more than enough, all-sufficient one. If he's our source, then the source is never going to run out. And so therefore, we can just enter this space in life where we look at what the Word says and not what we say. So I've called this message, The Joy of the Lord, Part 4, Joyful Giving, dot, 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 dot. Really? Because I like to be real. You know, I want to be one of those church pastors who speaks into lives in a real way. And I live in this world too. I know the pressures of it. I know what it's like to be married. I know what it's like to have children. I know what it's like when a bill's coming in and you haven't quite got the money. I know what it's like to be unwell. I know. But I also know this. When you live it out God's way, it always ends up better. And so we want to be people who focus on the word. You see, I'm looking at joyful giving. And the trouble is this. Who lives in a space like this? Here's another opportunity to give. Yay! Woohoo! <laughs> We don't, do we? The reality is that's not where we live. There are so many opportunities to give in our world. It's like, where do you even start and stop? Give me a hands up if you've walked down Colchester High Street or, or one of the side roads and you've, you've met 
I'm going to call them chuggers. Anyone familiar with the word chugger? A chugger is a charity mugger. Well, fortunately, she's not in the room. <laughs> but here's the thing. They're all good causes. Of course they're good causes, but they approach you, and it's like you feel like you should be doing something. You should sign up for your £2 a month. You, you, there's that, oh, you feel really bad, and you, you kind of, I don't know what you do, but I handle it like this. <laughs> yeah, oh, oh, my phone's just rang. And that's the reality, because where does it start and where does it stop? But God says in his word, he loves, he loves a joyful giver. So shouldn't it be one of our life goals to become a joyful giver? Because God says he loves it. And the reality is that's probably not the space we live in for all kinds of reasons. Probably most of us live in a space like this. This is how much I've got. And these are the things I want to do. These are the things I have to pay. These are the things I want to set up for later. And this is what I've got left. And out of what I've got left, you know, I quite want a pair of jeans or I quite want to save for a holiday or I quite want a pair of shoes or I want to take the missus out for dinner or I want her to buy her a pretty dress. You know, so you start looking at what you've got and then the opportunity to give comes and we're like, that one. And it's okay if that's you, because I live there sometimes too. It's perfectly normal. The challenge for us is, could we shift from that space to a biblical space where God loves it? And the challenge for us is, do we look at things through a human perspective? Or do we think, look at things through a Jesus perspective? Because I don't know about you. I am not here on this planet to represent humanity. I am here on this planet to represent Jesus. And so my challenge to myself and therefore to you is, in this thought process, who are you representing better? Jesus or humanity? And that's a challenge right there. The place goes quiet. Oh! Let's get some perspective around it because it will end up in a good place. I don't want anyone feeling bad. And do you know what? The whole point of bringing messages is for us to wrestle. It's not that I know everything and you don't know anything. You probably know a lot more than me. But God's put a message on my heart for you to wrestle with. And as you wrestle it through, talk it through, pray it through, my hope is that by making Jesus-centered decisions, you'll move in a better direction and your life will get better. Proverbs 3, verses 5 through 10 says this, very famous. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Love this heart thing going on right now. And lean not on your own understanding, not on the way humanity thinks, in all your ways, submit to him, to Jesus, and he will make your path straight. Do not be wise in your own eyes. Says it again. Stop thinking how you always think, but fear the Lord. Respect God. Revere him. Shun evil. This will bring health to your body and nourishment to your bones. I love that. Here's, here's the thing. God is saying, stop thinking like people think. Don't do it in your own way. Look at what, the way I say to do it. Do it that way, even though it doesn't add up to you. And this is what will happen. I will make your path straight. How many of our lives go like this? I'm doing really well. Oh, I'm having a nightmare. Oh, I'm doing okay. Oh, I'm doing really well. I'm having a nightmare. Whereas God says, I want you to have a nice, straight path. And this is one of the keys. He then says, it'll bring nourishment to your bones. You'll be healthy. And it then goes on to say, and I'll cause your barns to overflow. God wants you to have a great life and therefore be healthy 
comfortable, excited about life, a great future. And I say that leads to a place of joy. Because we wrestle with so many things. And so today, how about we at least wrestle with, consider, pray through this thought process of what it looks like to be a joyful giver. The handing of our stuff is always about heart. Give what you have decided to give in your heart. Who knows? God doesn't need your stuff. All sufficient one. A thousand cows on a hill. Created the world. He created the idea of money. He doesn't need your stuff. But so many times through the word, it says your heart is linked to your stuff. And God wants your heart. And so our wrestle is, has God got my heart or hasn't he? I love this concept here, Proverbs 11. This is message version. Proverbs 11, verses 24 and 25 says this. The world of the generous gets larger and larger. The world of the stingy gets smaller and smaller. The one who blesses others is abundantly blessed. Those who help others are helped. Right there is a good principle for life, isn't it? If you are generous, if you are open with your things, your life, your time, your material possessions, God says, your world's going to get bigger. God says that, not my idea, his. He then says, when you help others, you too will get help. That's a great life principle. The trouble is, in our human thinking, most of us are probably a little bit stingy. And I hope that today you might allow God to stir your heart out of that position and take a step closer to Jesus this morning. To open up your world, your life, your possessions, your stuff, who you are, your time, your skill, and your gifting, and start being more and more generous. I believe there is a generous person in every single person here. It's my job to rip it out of you and say, let's put it on display. Great principles in life. A generous giver causes someone else to be blessed. When you bless someone else who God loves, God is blessed. And when God's blessed, he's going to bless you, so you become blessed. So I want to say that the principle of generosity is win, win, win. You're blessed, God's blessed, people are blessed. That's the kind of life I want to live. And don't, you know, trust me, I'm on a journey too. But I want to set my goal to be Jesus kind of person, not man kind of person. And that encourages me to challenge my own generosity. You see, when you understand it's win-win-win, this whole concept of being a joyful giver is a, is a re realistic principle, isn't it? I want to be a joyful giver. Now, how many of us go down the street and see this and see different adverts and children in need and all these things, amazing things to give to, and then you come to church and the bucket goes around? You know, oh, flipping heck, throw me a bone here. You know, I know what it's like. But I want to challenge your spirit, man, to say, I want to become, if I'm not there yet, a joyful giver. Where the opportunity arises, and you know what, I'm going to step in. And that doesn't mean you have to give to everything, have some wisdom in it all. But what you give to, do it joyfully. i just got some great stories in my life, and some of you will have heard this. This is my, our personal favorite story, Sarah and I, of our generosity. And guys, I'm working on a better one, but this is still my best one. And some years ago, we had a student from Botswana at the university, and he came and became part of the church. Auntie, his name is, and a great, great guy. He's doing really, really well. Now, I stay Facebook friends with him. He hasn't been in the church now for some years, but we loved Auntie. He was one of the first, he was one of the first four students ever to come to our church. And yet here we have a great gang of students. Love you guys. It's our privilege to serve you. And I want to get to know you better. 
But this guy, he came and he, he came into midweek stuff and he served and he was studying IT and he helped us set some stuff up. He was a brilliant, brilliant guy. And he always had a thing about BMWs. He always wanted a BMW and he was into his cars and he had a driving license and the rest of it. But he was a student and didn't have the money for a car. And for about two weeks, God kept speaking to me. Do you know that moment when you're just waking up out of your haze? Isn't that the moment when you hear God clearest? We call it the right brain moment. When your left brain kicks in, you justify it. And I kept waking up with my right brain going, give on to your car. We had a BMW. He was like, give on to your car. And my left brain would kick in and go, don't be stupid. It's just, just your weird dream. I mean, idiots. And every day for about a fortnight, I kept waking up, give on to your car. You know it's me. Give on to your car. Left brain, don't be stupid, don't be stupid, don't be stupid. Who would do that? I haven't got another car. How am I going to get by without a car? I can't give on to my car. Why does he do? I was justifying it. But then I got brave. And all the men in the room who are married or in a relationship will know what I'm talking about. I told the wife. And I said, says, a bit weird this, but I've been wrestling with it for a couple of weeks. God keeps telling me to give on to our car. And she went, I'm glad you said that because you've been talking to me too. I, I think the same. I'm like, oh! <laughs> we didn't have another car. But you know what we did? We called on to Ian. And uh, he was setting up at church. It was when we met at what was the Charles Lucas School, now the Academy. We met in the theatre there. And he came in and very respectful African guy and would treat us as pastors and very respectful like that. And his great level of honour. And we said, Auntie, can we have a word at the back? And his eyes got all big. What have I done wrong? Oh, no, I've stuffed it up. I've let someone down. The pastors are going to tell me off. We took him into the back room and said... Um, been praying for you, auntie, and, and we feel like God's been speaking to us about you, and he was all big-eyed. And we said, we feel like God's told us to give you our BMW. Well, I'm telling you now, and I'll never forget it. What a moment. He burst into tears. I burst into tears. Sarah burst into tears. It was a, a cry-a-thon. <laughs> but it just demonstrated the principle of generosity. You see, when you are outrageous with your generosity... God moves in a moment. And we've, he hasn't been in church for several years, and yet we're still mates on Facebook. He still messages me. Because we, we had a generous moment there. And we gave him our, our car. Uh, within a week, someone had given us their car. And we now drive a BMW. It's like God doesn't leave hanging. Because God says, those who help others, he will help. The world of the generous gets bigger. My challenge in my human thinking is give your BMW away. What have I got? My world gets smaller. But God says, don't lean on your understanding. Trust me. And so when I just did what he said was to do, which in human terms is stupid, I just did it. It created a moment I'm never going to forget in my life. It's the most generous thing we have done as a couple. So keep praying for us because I know we're going to be challenged. I'm not ready to give my home away yet, so don't challenge me with that one yet. Please. I've said it now, haven't I? <laughs> but it created this moment where he was like, he knew that was an outrageous act on our part. We knew it was an obedient act on our part. God was all over it. He was blessed. We were blessed. He was blessed. Generosity just busts stuff open. But in human terms, it's stupid. But in God terms, stuff happens. 
worlds get bigger. And somewhere along the line, we need to trust him. I've been on the receiving end of some outrageous generosity. Uh, some time ago, um, I was at the front. And I was laughing and joking about some stuff that was happening in our home. And, and our dishwasher broke. And we couldn't fit, didn't have the money to fix it. And we do quite a lot of entertaining people coming round. We've got two Herberts who eat us out of house and home. And, and then there's Sarah. <laughs> and, uh, and create stacks of washing up. And it was broken. It was like, oh, we'll, we'll put some money aside. We'll try and save up to do that. But we came home one day. Uh, an amazing couple in our church. I'm not going to say who it was because they know. They had arranged for our dishwasher to be taken away and a new one fitted while we were out. And so we walked in and our old manky dishwasher was broken and smelt like rotten eggs. Was replaced with a brand new dishwasher which was better than the old one. And so being on the receiving end of great generosity, I want to say that moves me too. And so there's this great cycle of generosity where you give stuff, you get blessed, they get blessed, God gets blessed. You could receive some stuff, you get blessed, they get blessed, God get blessed. But it's this cycle of generosity which is a little bit outrageous and a little bit beyond our natural understanding, but it speaks of heaven. And we need to be people that speak of heaven. I want to introduce you to a Hebrew word um, that I learned some time ago from Shane Willard. Shane Willard is a phenomenally gifted preacher. He comes and guests with us once a year. He's coming, put it in your diaries even now, on the 6th to the 8th of July this coming this year. Um, and he preaches from a Hebrew perspective. He's been trained by a rabbi. He's a Christian himself, and he's a great communicator. But he just busts open the Bible. When you start understanding some of the meanings behind the meaning, it just makes the whole message bigger. And his goal in life is to make what you see God bigger. Because God's always bigger than we can imagine. And he's been given this gift for that. And he taught me this word called tzedak. T-Z-E-D-A-K. Tzedak. In your best Hebrew, turn to the person next to you and say tzedak. The word tzedak means righteousness. Tzedak. That's the Hebrew word for righteousness. But you need to know that when... God breathed on Adam in Genesis 2 and verse 7. He breathes on Adam. He breathed in him the breath of life. The Hebrew word for that is hey, the breath of life. And what it was is there's Adam, a body, but when God inspires something, when God breathes on something, it comes to life. And so God, God breathed hey on Adam and he came to life. And we see this principle running through the Bible because then you have Abram. And Abram had a, a call of God on his life. And it meant, Abram means exalted father. And then God breathed and inspired Abram and he became Abraham. The hay, the breath of life went on to Abraham. What was already there, exalted father, became father of nations, father of many. God inspires something and just makes it bigger. It brings it to life. He had a wife, Sarai, S-R-A-I, Sarai. This is interesting, bearing in mind I'm married to one. Sarai means quarrelsome. All you husbands out there married to a Sarah, sometimes they just dip back a little bit, don't they? Sarah, I'm having one today, and I'm going to get so much trouble when I get home. Pray for me. Sarai. But when God breathed on Sarai, she became Sarah, the hay, the breath of life under Sarah, Sarah. Means princess. <laughs> Amen. Because it's always been there. And it's amazing when God breathes onto something, that thing comes to life. 
Well, tzedak means righteousness. Tzedakah means generosity. And when God breathes on righteousness, it comes to life. And righteousness showing life equals generosity. So I want to say one thing that determines your righteousness is how generous you are in your heart. Has God breathed on you to stir you to that place of generosity? Tzedakah. It's the outworking of a heart touched by God. Let me share with you my Sarah's favorite verse here in Philippians 4 verse 14. This is in the message version 2. This is Paul and Paul is writing from uh, house arrest in Rome uh, for preaching about Jesus. He's, he's been arrested there. And you need to know, not unlike in our jails where people get fed and watered and stuff, they get nothing. If your family doesn't look after you when you're in jail, you're going to starve to death. It's your responsibility. And here is Paul struggling in jail or under house arrest. And the Philippian church remember him. And they send him a care package. They send him some money. They, they look after him. And he says, Paul writes them the letter back to the Philippians. It was a beautiful thing that you came alongside me in my troubles. And I just think that's a real, it's so moving. That so many of us here have the ability to get alongside someone in need. And it makes their life a little bit more beautiful. And it stretches you. And it puts your righteousness on display in generosity. And I want to be leading a bunch of people that are willing at least to say, God, stir that in me. I want to become a joyful giver. I want to look at an opportunity and choose to step in, even when sometimes it seems humanly stupid. If you're calling me to do it, and he's not always calling you to do it. Don't think one second, every time you walk down the street and you get a chugger, you've got to give everything away. I'm not saying that. Be wise. But is your heart in a place to say, Lord, should I give to this? Should I give to that person? Should I sow in here? And your world will get bigger. What does it look like to honor God with our stuff? And it's interesting because I was writing this message and it's tough leading a church because you don't want your guests, you know, lots of people here for the first time. Some people here have been two or three times. You don't want the guests coming and think, oh, here they go, here they go, banging on about money, 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 the church and money. It's really tough because it binds a leader up. Do you know how often we talk about money in this church? About once a year. And the shame about that is that money is one of the biggest things that affects all of us. And yet, church, we're not allowed to talk about it. And God's got some great stuff to say on it. And God wants to bless you. But if we talk about it from the front, it's like, I don't want your money. The church doesn't need your money. God doesn't need your money. God wants to bless you. But one of the ways he does it is in our attitude to our stuff. But we're not allowed to talk about it because do you get that my dilemma? So hear me, if you're a guest here or you're someone relatively new, we don't bang on about this stuff all the time, but I feel like we need to talk about it sometimes just to equip each other. The other thing we never talk about is sex. Don't come to church and talk about sex because that's awkward. But sex is one of the things that affects all of us the most. But we don't talk about it in church, do we? Sarah and I are wrestling. We're thinking about putting on a marriage, an MOT for marriages. We talk to some of the parents on the school run. And they know what we do and we chat on and, you know, we've done marriage counseling and helped some people and these things. And all the women are like, oh, yeah, we come to that. We need that. We need that. See, the women are thinking, if I get my husband there, I'll change him. He just needs to hear it from someone else because clearly I'm right. 
the men are willing to come because if they come and the women get women get sorted, it'll get some more sex. <laughs> and so you've got the two people prepared to come for completely different reasons, but the fact you're laughing means I speak the truth. But in church, we're not allowed to talk about sex because that's awkward. Yet the word's got some great stuff on it. Do you know who invented sex? It's cool, guys. But it's cool within a context that God set it up in. That's where it's blessed. But we don't talk about it because that's awkward. So I hope you're proud of me right now because when we start talking about money, I kind of feel the, oh, he's talking about money. My goal is to give you the tools to wrestle through how you're going to handle your stuff so that God will be glorified and you will be blessed. God doesn't need your stuff. God wants your heart. But we are already establishing heart and stuff are so interlinked. You can say, I love you, but do you? Do you see? I want to just spend just five minutes talking about this weird thing we call the tithe. The room goes deathly silent. He's mentioned the T word. <laughs> the thing is about tithe, it's like, it's such a shame because I think it's been handled badly. I think it's been taught potentially wrongly, I think it's bound people up, it's then been handled with people with hard hearts, and it's become a no-go area. Most people who aren't even in church understand you're supposed to give 10%. Oh, the church, they just want 10%. Why would you give 10%? <laughs> but when you understand it, it's like, oh, okay, yeah, it's not so bad. The trouble is we don't understand it, we've just got an opinion on something we don't understand. And so many of the church and unchurched people have that. Let's have a look at some of the stuff that's ruined it. People say this, it's the law. Anyone heard that one? A tithe, it's the law. And the argument against that is that Jesus set us free from the law, and because the tithe is the law, therefore the tithe doesn't apply to me. So I don't have to give anything. Joyful, not giver. But that's the actual thought process, isn't it? But let's have a look at that then. Genesis 14, uh, verses 18 through 20. This is the first place in the Bible you will find the tithe. Just there. You're familiar with it? Is it down here? Oh, wait, I could have had it on this one. Uh, then Melchizedek, king of Salem, brought out bread and wine. He was the priest of God. Melchizedek was the priest of God, most high. And he blessed Abram saying, Blessed be Abraham by God Most High, creator of heaven and earth, and praise be to God Most High, who delivered your enemies into your hand. Then Abram gave him a tenth of everything. This happens 400 years. Turn to the person next to you and say, 400 years. This happens 400 years before the law. So it didn't originate in the law. For me personally, I believe it originated in Eden. God said, don't eat that tree. That's my tree. It's my portion. Don't touch that. It's the only bit. Everything else, do what you want. But don't touch that bit. What did man do? Touch that bit. And it's a great big garden. I believe Eden was about the size of Britain. One tree. One. Don't touch that because that's something. And by not touching that, you'll show that you honor me. You'll declare to me your heart. What did we do? Eat the tree. What did God say? I love you, but now you come out of my blessing. They were supposed to tend the garden, 
And in that moment, they had to toil for the garden. I believe God wants us to be living in a place where we're tending our life. But so many of us, unfortunately, are toiling for life. And it's the same principles running through this. So here's this place, 400 years before, before the law ever existed, where Melchizedek comes, who's the priest of God and the king at the time. He's a forerunner for Jesus, priest and king. And Abraham, who's the father of our faith, who wasn't following any rules, had his heart moved. And when his heart moved, he said, the king deserves a tenth. And he gave it to him. It was nothing to do with any law. Moses, who wrote the law 400 years later, looked at this incident and said, I believe in that. But the trouble is, I'm leading a nation who have hard hearts. And so they might look at that, but their hearts are going to say, nah. So I'm going to make it a law because I know it's the best thing for them. And so Moses writes the law based on what he could see was right and said, this is how we have to live. And so therefore, although it was the law, it didn't originate in the law. And so when we say, yeah, but it's the law, it kind of was, but it kind of wasn't. Do you see the, what I'm trying to build up here? It was always about heart and never about rules. Here's the classic tithe verse that I'm sure many of you will have heard. Malachi 3 verses 8 through 10. <coughs> Test me in this. God says, the only time he ever says it in his Bible, test me then. Try me out. And see if I will not throw open the floodgates of heaven and pour out so much blessing that there will not be room enough to store it. There's, is that all of it? There's a previous bit. Is there not a previous bit? No. The previous bit says, you rob from me. How do I rob from you? Because you don't give me the tithe. The tithe belongs to me. And if you're, you're closing up heaven over yourself. But if you test me, this is what I'm going to do. I'm going to throw open heaven. Over your life, if you honor me in this place. And so here's the thing. The point of the tithe, when you read all of that verse, is it says, so that there will be food on my table. The point of the tithe is so that God's dream can function. And God's dream is to reach humanity through the church. You see, the answer to all the world's problems sits in this room. But the trouble is we sit in this room and keep it to ourselves, and we should be bursting out of this room and telling the world. But that's a wrestle. And it's a journey we're all on. But he says, bring the tithe into my storehouse so the church can function. So there'll be food on the table. If anyone here has been blessed by church, whether you met Jesus, whether you received the prayer of prophecy, whether you've created friendships, whether it's become part of your life, whether you've been encouraged, that was enabled because some people here tithed. Some people here say, I, want, I believe in this church. I want it to function. I know it's a God principle and it's God's dream. So when I sow into the church, I'm sowing into God's dream and he loves that. And what he says for me over that is, I'm going to throw open the windows of heaven over your life. And it changes everything. So the first place of generosity surely should be with God. See, my wrestle with this is, is God who he says he is to you? Because if he's God... If he's actually God, shouldn't we be generous with him first? Or is he just a concept that when you're in a down moment, I'll pray and hopefully something will happen. But I believe I'm going to stand before God one day and he's going to look at me and I know he's going to say, well done, good and faithful servant. Because I am doing my best. I don't get it right every time, but I'm doing my best to live my life out according to his principles and not mine. But what he says over that is I'm going to throw some stuff open over you. He wants you blessed. 
The next argument then is, okay, it's Old Testament. It's Old Testament, right? You've approved the law things, but it's Old Testament. We're New Testament. I'm a New Testament Christian. Do you know the problem with New Testament Christians is we don't like all of it. Because in Acts, oh, I want to be the Acts church. They met in small groups. You know, small groups, so many people say they met in small groups thinking about six, but they, you know, when the Holy Spirit came, they were in a house, 150 of them. Well, that's not that small then, is it? On the first day the Holy Spirit came, 3,000 of them became Christians. Well, that's not six, is it? And so we create this weird theology around small church, but when you look at the numbers, it was never small. Do you know, do you know um, the Apostle John? Uh, his, do you know what his message was? Love. They brought him out in Ephesus, and you can go there today and see the remains of where they brought him out. Do you know how many seated, how many could seat when they brought him out? 20,000. That's, you know, the small churches. The little ones at the beginning of the time, you know, the Acts Church, you know, the small ones. 20,000. And do you know what they, he did? He was so poorly, he came out and he said this, love each other. And they took him off. <laughs> I could prepare a preach like that. But we had this idea about the early church. But you know what they did? They brought all of their stuff. They sold their houses. They brought all of their income, all of it, 100% of it, and laid at the apostles' feet and said, let's call this place to function. So how about we can become that church? <laughs> you see, so it's like, oh, I want to be a New Testament person. That's the Old Testament. Well, that's cool. Let's do that then. But the trouble is what we're really saying is I want to do what I want to do. I don't want to do anything the Bible says. And it's a wrestle for us. I say, let's stick to what God said. And let's look at some New Testament stuff. Let's look at Jesus. Can we agree Jesus is New Testament? Luke 16, verses 10 through 13 says this. Jesus speaking. Whoever can be trusted with very little can also be trusted with very much. And whoever is dishonest with very little will also be dishonest with very much. So if you've not been trusting, trustworthy in handling worldly wealth, who will trust you with true riches? And if you have not been trustworthy with handling someone else's property, who will give you property of your own? No one can serve two masters. Either you will hate the one and love the other, or you'll be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. Can I put a, a, a caveat in here? Jesus is not anti-money. There are some very wealthy people sat in this room, and I celebrate you. We need you. It's you that, could, you know, Ecclesiastes says this. Ecclesiastes says that money is the answer to so many problems. You know, how many of us wouldn't want a few more quid is the reality. So he's not anti-money. What he is anti is that when we serve money. Money should be our servant to allow things to happen. But when money becomes an idol, that's when it becomes bad. And it's this, it's this communication of it which gets, you know, robs people. Then we start saying, oh, prosperity. But it's just like, do well. Go and be a great business person. Smash it out of the park. Have nice stuff. But handle that stuff before God. I love to see people doing well. But this is what Jesus is saying here. If you can't handle someone else's stuff, how can I trust you with true riches? And the truth is this. True riches isn't just more money. Because that's not true riches. That's just more money. True riches is an open heaven over your life. True riches is seeing your friend healed. True riches is seeing your family come into salvation. True, true riches is supernatural health. True riches is, is the flow of finance in your life that is just like, wow, this is amazing stuff. True riches is more than just money. It's an open heaven. It's another way of describing the Malachi verse where he says, I'm going to throw open heaven over you. 
Jesus is saying the same thing. And what's the link? Can you handle someone else's money? Well, what on earth is going on about there then? Well, let's have a look. Mark 12, verses 14 through 17. Jesus speaking again. They came to him and said, Teacher, we know that you are a man of integrity. You aren't swayed by others because you pay no attention to who they are. But you teach the way of God in accordance with the truth. Is it right to pay the imperial tax to Caesar or not? Should we pay or shouldn't we? And this is how he answers. Jesus knew their hypocrisy. Why are you trying to trap me, he asked. Bring me a denarius and let me look at it. They brought the coin and he asked them, whose image is this and whose inscription? Caesar's, they replied. Then Jesus said to them, give back to Caesar what is Caesar's and to God what is God's. And they were amazed. So he's saying, yes, pay taxes. It's the right thing to do. But then he says the other thing, isn't he? Give to God what is God's. Now, up until this point, there's been no other teaching on how to handle your money. So Jesus, New Testament Jesus, is saying some portion of your money is God's. He is referring to the tithe. And so he's saying, if you want true riches in your life, if you want the key to open stuff and bust stuff out, you need to handle someone else's money. And the person's money you need to handle is God's. So are you tithing or aren't you? That's Jesus speaking. And so I think we've just got confused somewhere on the line and made excuses and wrestled with it. But I hope you can see when you grasp it, it was never the law. It was always heart. It became the law because of hard hearts. And Jesus, referring back to it, says, this is what I want to do for you. I want to give you true riches. I just wonder how many people are wrestling in life and not seeing an open heaven over their life and busting through it all. And yet Jesus is giving us at least one of the keys here. Honor God. Be generous with him. And I will open up heaven over you. You will see true riches. It, it's tough for me because I totally believe in this kind of stuff because God says it. And my issue is people come to me and ask me to pray. And one of the things I want to do, and I'm being open as a pastor, and one of the things I want to do when people come to me with health issues and struggles and stuff, I want to say, are you honoring God with your tithe? Because I believe it's a starting point to an open heaven over your life. And if you're not, you're asking me to pray for you when you're not even doing what you can do. Can you see the wrestle that I find? And it's so, oh. But I almost love you too much not to have an awkward moment in church and talk about the tithe. Do you hear me? It's because I love you. It's because Jesus loves you. And he says, this is the way to handle it. I don't want your money. God don't want your money. The church don't want your money. God wants you to be blessed. And one of the ways he blesses you is by handling your money. I love this here. Matthew 6.21 just backs it all right up. Where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. There's always a link, biblically speaking, between your stuff and your heart. Who knows that if you are someone who's into stocks and shares and you might have, you know, thousand pounds of shares, you're more interested in what that, what's happening to that company than if you've got none in it. Because your treasure's there, so it matters to you now. Imagine if you're someone who's invested money in God's house. Then you're interested in it. Do you see? And it's like, oh, I'm invested in this. It means something to me. I want to get my weight behind it. And God loves it. So in all of this, I hope you can see that Tithing honors God and opens up stuff. But I hope also you can see that generosity is the heart behind it that says, I want to see people blessed. I want to see this town blessed. I want to see the church blessed. I want to run with it as best as I'm able because I believe my world will get bigger because of it.
you can see God at work through giving that releases joy. And therefore, this whole idea of joyful giving can become a reality. That you're blessed, others are blessed, and God's blessed. I don't know, just before we start, I've got a little clip to play on the screen. I love some of the TV programs, and I think it buys into the generosity that's in, we have a generous nation. I know that because when we see children in need, our nation gives millions. Generous people. And so my heart is to stir you up beyond natural generosity and step into a Jesus generosity. Anyone ever watched DIY SOS, The Big Build? Oh, it's amazing, isn't it? They, they, what they do is they find a, a family or a person or someone's been through some horrendous stuff and they're living in a home that doesn't function how they need it to and they send them away on a week's holiday and they just invite local tradespeople to come and help. And they come and they give their time and their materials for free. And over the course of the week, they transform. Sometimes they knock the house down and rebuild it again. They come back and they, they left a two-bedroom flat and they've come home to a six-bedroom mansion. They're like, oh! But it's amazing. And me and Sarah sit and they go, oh, it's amazing. It's really good. We should do that. Why don't we do that? It's really good. Because it's moving. And at the end, they walk around and there's that moment where they stand in front of this great crowd of these brilliant laborers and skilled people that have helped. And they just go, thank you. You have changed my life. But you know what changed their life? The heart of generosity. That I'm willing to take a week off work for nothing to sow into your life. And I don't even know you. And when you get generous, good things happen. Another program I love is Undercover Boss. Have you seen Undercover Boss? I watched it the other week and it's what stirred me to this. And I'm going to show you just a small clip. It's not the best clip. It's hard to find clips on YouTube. But I found a short clip. And the boss goes into his own company, uh, undercover, dressing him up with a big fake moustache or something. And... Um, he goes in there and he, and he works alongside some people and he just sees the reality of what they're, what's going through their lives. And so he puts things right or she puts things right. And uh, at the end of it all, often they've connected with two or three people in particular and they invite them in and they just give stuff away. And we're not talking about, you know, he's under a quid. We're talking about thousands. We're talking about cars. We're talking about homes. We're talking about holidays. We're setting, they're setting them up for life. And when you see generosity displayed, it is so moving. So I just, it's one, I think it's one minute and 30 seconds, just this clip here. I just want to show you it and just get the gist of what's going on here. You really epitomize what I'm looking for. Seriously, Hannah, I don't think you have any idea how I've dreamt of more women like you being part of who we are as an organization as a whole. So what I'd like to do is give you $25,000 as a cash reward for being you. I want you to be able to be home with those kids. This is a precious time in their lives, in your life. And if that can help you with your mortgage, with your payments, if that can help you pay off some bills that maybe you have, whatever, whatever it can do for you. Would that make a difference? Could we, could we keep you full-time at Mr. Appliance and not have you go to, to do another job? I'm just a little country girl from nowhere. <laughs> You're an amazing country girl from nowhere. Thank you. Speechless. Um, it's definitely a blessing. That's all I can say. That's awesome, isn't it? Where, where, where's the moustache? Here's where I'd just like to round it all up. 
just one more. Well, I think it's a brilliant verse, and I hope it's a verse that you might take away with you from this. Now, if anything I've said hasn't met with you, that's cool, you know. But I love you enough to say some of these things. It's worth wrestling with. Isaiah 32, verse 8 says this. A generous man or woman devises generous things or plans, and by generosity they'll stand. I'd love to be part of a group who just make generous plans. Just get together some people and say, what could we do? What could we do that would outrageously bless someone? Let's be a bit sneaky. Make someone smile. But let's not just do a little bit. Let's be a bit outrageous. In my heart has always been for the homeless people in our town, not just to give them some soup, which is a great thing to do, but to give them a home. That's my father. You know, wouldn't it be great if you come across a family that haven't had a holiday for five years, and you can see they're tired, and you just said, you know what? 5,000 pounds. I just want to bless you. Just, maybe you couldn't do that on your own, but maybe you could club together with some people. Just people that devise generous plans. Because I believe it puts your righteousness on display. I believe it touches the Father's heart when he sees you blessing other people. And I believe in doing it, your world will bust open. And it's not humanly natural or ordinary, but it's Jesus. The one who gave up the comforts of heaven, sat at the right hand of the Father in a place where there's no tears, willing to come down and reach out to you and in reaching out to you he got flogged and beaten criticized judged his own father turned his back on him but you're the joy of the Lord for the joy set before him he endured the cross well that joy that motivated him to the cross that's you I can do this my father's turned his back on me because I carry the sin of the world They've put a crown of thorns on my head and maybe carry this cross which I'm weak but I'm going to get there because one day in 2018 you might be sat in church you might be sat in church and I'm doing this for you because I want to set you up to win this is my ultimate act of love and generosity to you I've given everything of myself so you'd do better and I believe when we devise generous plans we reflect some of that that I'm prepared to give of myself to make your life better. That's what Kesed means. The word Kesed means unfailing love. Being willing to go beyond yourself to make someone else's life better. And I believe it reflects Father. So would you let me pray for you? Should we stand up and just have a moment? I just want to invite you just to close your eyes. You really don't have to. There's no rules in this house, but it's just helpful. Helpful to you to focus. Helpful for the person next to you to realize that they've got a private moment too. Maybe God's stirring something in you. Jesus. As I was preparing this message, this is the first thing I feel like God asked me to speak into at this moment. We serve the God of more than enough. But I think too many of us living in a space 
where we never have enough. And so much as we want to be generous, we look at what we have and we feel our hands are tied and there becomes, I'm going to call like a poverty mentality. I haven't got enough. I can't do anything. It's, you get yourself in a thought process, which is a poverty mindset. And it's not a Jesus mindset. And I understand how that works itself in and how that can get a hold of you, but it doesn't reflect Jesus. Just in this moment, is that you? Are you someone who's like, oh, I never seem to have enough? I always seem to be the poor one, the struggling one. It's just, oh, it's got in my head and I see myself like that now. If that's you, just raise your hand. I want to pray with you. Bless you there. Bless you there. Bless you over there. Bless you there. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Lord, I want to break the power of a poverty mindset over those brilliant people and speak your life and your goodness over them. I want to encourage you, church, that God's your source. It's him who sets you up, and he's got more than enough. So get your eyes fixed on Jesus. And I want to encourage you to step out in some small way to break a cycle over your life. Whatever that might be for you, just break the cycle in some small way. I believe there's some people in this room who live in a space where you're really blessed. And I want to pray for you that God would stir a level of generosity in you that you're like, wow, I'm shocking myself here. Because that's the church God wants. He wants us to be a bit outrageous. I came that you'd have life and life in its abundance. I'm not going to get you to raise hands over that, but you might know who you are. Lord God, I just thank you for people who are doing well. And I just stir that spirit in you, that generous spirit to go above and beyond anything you've ever done before. To be a bit outrageous. To put your righteousness on display. with generous action that in it all Jesus you'd be glorified that people would be blessed blown away by the love of God's house thank you Jesus thank you Jesus thank you Jesus thank you Jesus I just wonder if there's anyone here who wants to acknowledge I want to take up a challenge then I want to walk out of this place and challenge myself to be a more generous person Maybe we could stand together on that. Is that you today? Give me a wave. I believe it's going to be lots of people saying, yes, I want to be more generous. Bless you, bless you, bless you. Loads of people across the room. Thank you, Jesus. Lord, I lift up those people to you. And I just pray a continual stirring, Lord God, that you would take them from a place where they are now into a new place of generosity, that they would indeed devise generous plans that people would be encouraged. Thank you, Jesus. Lord, but in all of this, never want to make money and things the focus. Jesus, you're the focus. Lord, if this has been difficult for anyone, I pray they'd be released from it right now in Jesus' name. We don't focus on money here. So be released. But if you feel challenged and stirred today, I pray you'd allow the Holy Spirit to continue to challenge and stir you. I want to see an open heaven over your life. I want to see people flourishing. And I want to see Kessa Church break out of its four walls and see this town changed. 
So, Father, thank you for what's coming. Be blessed. And all God's people said, 